because it's not that customers don't want to buy it. It's just that sometimes they don't understand. That's why you need to generate the need. And how do you generate the need? By effective marketing. That's, that's something which needs to be done. Hi, welcome to the Halftime Snacks. My name is Ronen Einbinder. This show features the stories of talented people working in sports. Are you ready? Let's go. I'm happy to introduce a massive guest to today's Halftime Snack. Joining us from Toronto, Canada is a sports technology enthusiast with over 14 years of experience working in the sports industry. His expertise lies in the intersection between multiple domains such as sales, marketing, analytics and content writing. This man has worked with leading sports tech companies such as Huddle, Catapult Sports, Sports Insight and Pitch Vision. Additionally, he worked with different teams as a performance analyst. It is an honor to introduce the one and only Venugopal Rajagopalan. Thank you, Ronan. Uh, such a pleasure to be on your show. And uh, I've seen some of your previous episodes and wonderful to be connected and be on this show. Man, it's great to have you on the show. And I want to start off by talking a little bit about your background. While I was doing my research, I realized that your bachelor's degree was done in India. So I guess you're from India and you grew up there. So I want to talk a little bit about that, your education. So what are some of the key lessons that you've learned maybe while you were living there or in your career that you know that you apply in sports today? Yep, uh, you're right. Uh, I was born and brought up in India in a place called New Delhi, the capital of India. I did my graduation back there uh, in information technology, although I did it in IT, but uh, you know, I was never a geek or never a programmer <laughs> per se. Uh, it was predominantly uh, you know, the functional side of IT that caught my attention. And uh, I just, I was kind of amazed by the way uh, computer systems work and, you know, how uh, new programs are developed and, you know, how the technology world is taking shape. And, you know, back then when I did my graduation in the early 2000s, you know, this was a big booming space. So, you know, so that kind of got me interested in knowing more about how tech is developed. Uh, post that, you know, I, I did my postgraduate diploma in management, and that was actually a big learning curve for me because that taught me the virtues of uh, leadership, as well as knowing where to apply, uh, you know, the concepts that I've learned in my graduation and in my post-graduation, right? So that's kind of applied, you know, they say management is applied science, right? So that's that's how I kind of got to know how do I, you know, you know, I kind of fix A and B together and make C, you know, so that's that's something <laughs> which was quite a, quite a big learning for me. So, so yeah, so that was my education. Uh, did not have a clue in terms of where to take my career in the beginning. So, uh, you know, as everyone else, I kind of joined the bandwagon, the rat race, and, you know, joined the IT industry and uh, started off with some uh, roles in sales and marketing in the IT domain. Uh, but that was a huge learning curve uh, because, you know, that was uh, the building block of, you know, me getting into the corporate world and understanding how things work, how to make proposals, how to make sales pitch, uh, and, you know, all those kind of stuff. And so, yeah, so that, that helped me a lot. Was there something, of course, now you're living in, you're living in Toronto 
in Canada and I suppose I've never been to India but I suppose that it's very different in terms of both society but also in terms of what sports means to society and what it means was there something specific about Toronto's sports life that pushed you to move there or how would you compare India and Toronto Canada as, as it may for someone working in sports can you just give us a little bit of a comparison In my initial few years in the IT industry, you know, I worked there for a few years, five years, uh, you know, and down the line, I wanted to do something different in life. Uh, you know, there was some bit of soul searching that I did. And, you know, all this while I was also interested in sport big time and being in India. And like you mentioned, right, you did not know, how, know much about India, but, you know, cricket as a sport is a religion there. So it's like it's in everybody's blood. You know, if you are in India, if you don't love cricket, then you're not an Indian. That's how it is. <laughs> So, uh, so I, I kind of kept playing uh, club cricket back then on weekends uh, and corporate and club cricket. And, you know, I wanted to do something related to sport, but I did not know what. So, uh, so I just started doing a bit of research after office hours and on weekends in terms of where do I see myself fitting into the sports industry. And that's when I, you know, figured out that performance analysis or sports analytics is coming up in a big way. And this was, I'm talking about 2008, 9, 10 at that point in time. And, uh, you know, sports was catching up big on technology. Uh, and these were some of the areas which were actually becoming more prominent. So that's when I started doing a bit of uh, freelance work uh, with some of the players in this market. Uh, started off by, uh, you know, working on weekends and, you know, helping out a couple of startups. Uh, with their analytic needs, uh, analysis needs and stuff. And, you know, post that, uh, I started getting a little more confident about, you know, where I fit into the scheme of things. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, you know, w one fine day, I just decided that, you know, that's it. You know, I just want to take a plunge and a leap of faith and just get into this. Uh, you know, I feel that I belong here. And that's how I kind of, you know, started working with a startup. Uh, and then slowly got into, uh, you know, some of the bigger companies, like you mentioned Huddle, uh, you know, it was known as Sports Tech back then before Huddle took over. Um, so grew the market for them in India, helped them build, uh, you know, brand in India, worked with teams, worked with clubs. So they were predominantly into performance analysis solutions, video analysis and stuff. Uh, you know, post that, I also got an opportunity to work with a football club, actually. Uh, as a performance analyst, like you mentioned in my intro. So that was a huge learning experience, actually, uh, you know, because football wasn't my domain uh, as a sport, which I understood in detail. Uh, I mean, I, I knew about the sport, but then, you know, analyzing it, working with the coach was completely different. So that that experience helped me a lot because, you know, I had worked on the company side before and then I worked on the customer side, you know, so that was a huge transition. So that kind of helped me understand how technology is perceived as well as consumed by sports and by customers. Um, so, yeah, so that was the stage when India was actually coming up, uh, you know, as a maturing market in sports and technology. And post that, you know, uh, we had a few family reasons to move to Toronto with my wife getting a good role out here. Uh, you know, with her career. So I just thought, you know, why not explore this new market as well? And, you know, in 2017, we kind of took this decision of coming over here and maybe exploring this side of the world as well, because I always wanted to understand and also maybe see how mature markets or, you know, uh, or different markets, uh, you know, react differently to technology and sport. So it's been an interesting learning curve. Uh, sport here is very different than what it is back in India, uh, because here you have, a big, big factor, which is the weather. 
which plays a huge role in in sport. Uh, so you have indoor sport, you have outdoor sport, and you know you have summer sport, you have winter sport. So that's how it is, uh, you know, segregated. And of course, cricket. Uh, there is a bit of cricket here as well. I, I still do play some club cricket on weekends in summer. Uh, but then, yeah, it's not the number one sport. It's more of a summer sport. But then I learned a lot about how sports management, sports marketing is done out here, how people look at fan engagement. And, you know, that's how I kind of landed up into the current role or the current project that I'm doing with Fanisco. It sounds like you were able to take some of the, like, the best side of each of the two worlds, an intersection that it would be very hard to find, in, especially in, in Canada of someone that knows and has this background such as yours, which I think, I think it's amazing. And I'm really curious to ask you, Venu, about your favorite client. Who, who do you think has been the, your favorite client to work with in sports? You mentioned Huddle, that was uh, sports technology back then, and now it's Huddle. You mentioned also, I know that you worked with Catapult, and is, which is a company I've been following for years now, and I think it's amazing. But I want to ask you, Which has been your favorite client to, to work with and, and why would you say that? Honestly, uh, there are so many wonderful experiences that I've uh, had working with all these uh, you know, wonderful organizations, right? So, uh, and each of them had a very unique experience in itself. Uh, for example, when I started off with Huddle, when, uh, you know, when I started there in India. So, uh, you know, I, I got to, I mean, I, I've been to Australia for a few uh, you know, days of training. Then I got to experience how sport is perceived there and how they look at technology in sport. And then, you know, how different it is to India. And, you know, and that was a big learning curve and a big learning experience, both for me and for the company as well, in terms of how do you sell this technology in a market which is completely different, right? Wherein a lot of education was needed, a lot of handholding was needed, and a lot of marketing was needed as well to make people aware of what it is. And that was a big experience because, you know, when you see... Uh, those initiatives bearing fruit and you know uh, you know your your efforts kind of getting uh, recognized and you know getting into uh, converting a customer you know that's when you really feel good about good about it right similar experience with catapult because catapult was a was an extremely technical uh, product uh, you know the the gps tech that is uh, there and you know for me as a non sports scientist to understand that and sell that that was a huge challenge And, you know, for anybody getting into that domain and, you know, trying to sell that technology, right, and talking to coaches and strength and conditioning experts in their language, you know, it was a challenge. So you had to make sure that you actually read up everything that is there and you understand what you're selling and not just go there and, you know, like a typical sales guy, no disrespect to sales guys, but, you know, just going there and uh, having a big mouth and speaking, speaking, speaking and not understanding context, right? So, so that's, that's something which I actually enjoyed a lot. Uh, and then currently with Fanisco, I mean, this is uh, another favorite challenge of mine because fan engagement, and this is really interesting because with COVID, uh, you know, digital fan engagement is now a huge priority for teams, for clubs, for everybody, right? So before this, you know, you had stadiums being filled by fans, but now with empty stands, with empty stadiums, what do you do? So this is the only option available, you know, engaging fans digitally. How do you get sponsorship through digital mediums, right? So this is a very, very interesting challenge. I think this is one of my current favorite projects as well with Fanisco because, you know, I'm getting to learn a lot uh, in this uh, endeavor. And as well as, you know, being in this environment, in this new exciting space, uh, you know, it's kind of helping me hone my skills as well. And, you know, it's giving me that entrepreneurial feeling wherein, you know, you are 
uh, working for a startup and you know trying to project this and you know it's kind of it's 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 pretty interesting it's very very interesting i mean this space is going to grow like anything and that's where uh, i feel the future is going to be with fan engagement digital now that you mention both marketing and sales and engagement i want to ask you if there are if if it comes to mind if you think there are three or four marketing and sales practices that teams and brands should do more even even technology companies which practices do you think they should do more of that they're not doing and why do you think that they are essential so uh, i think from a marketing and sales standpoint uh, you know uh, one part which i already mentioned before is that you know uh, and i think this is one question which is also asked by jeremy uh, if you remember on twitter yesterday right in terms of how do you sell or market differently to different markets right uh, or geographies so i think that's a very very valid point because you know in my experience of working with catapult and even with uh, huddle before uh, we had a clear cut strategy of how to approach india as a market you know because it wasn't that you know people understand the technology right away you know it has to uh, you know go through a series of education uh, as well as you know marketing as well as getting people to know about the technology first you know then going and telling that you know what this is a product this is what you will get this is the price pay for it you know that doesn't work in india you know or even in asia for that matter so you need to kind of win the customer's confidence and that's where i feel that you know seminars webinars education as well as you know hand holding clients giving them a, maybe a free demo license to try out something and you know then seeing is believing right that's that's how it works so i think that's that's how the uh, you know approach should be for for markets which are not as mature as you know some of the other markets right so that's a big learning i think that's something which companies should do especially if they are looking to enter enter say places like south asia and stuff because it's not that customers don't want to buy it it's just that sometimes they don't understand and you know that's where you need to kind of uh, generate the need and how do you generate the need by effect effective marketing that's that's something which we, which needs to be done wow that's a really good lesson i didn't really thought about it that way but i feel like when you have experience working in different markets you kind of understand that not every market is the same and also not the needs of every person in the market are the same so learning how to uh, compensate the needs identifying clients potential interests are some of the things that i take away from what you say and i appreciate that venu i want to know you of course you became a freelancer of the sports industry you consult teams you consult companies you help them in business development in market research in sales marketing all of these things what are some of the advantages that you've realized from becoming this freelancer in the sports industry and i want to know if there are any disadvantages of the format of working that way is there any disadvantage can you tell us a little bit about both sides sure uh advantages are plenty uh, one is that you kind of tend to experience a wide range of uh, you know clients to work with uh, as well as a wide industry in terms of you know you could work for example now i'm doing something in fan engagement i'm also doing something in market research i'm also teaching uh, a few university students back home in india so you know it's like you're broadening your scope you could do much more sitting at home you know working from home or you know working from anywhere in the world right so you have multiple avenues to work for so your learning increases your network increases i think that's the biggest advantage uh, people start knowing you uh, you know when you do multiple projects uh, you grow your network as well as you know it, it it's a big uh, uh, 
you know, how, how do I put it? It's a big learning curve for anybody who is doing multiple things together. Uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, all those things have to be prioritized in terms of, you know, how do we deliver each project? It's not that, you know, the quality should go down, you know, everything should be done speak and span. So so that's that's also a key message which I would like to point out as a freelancer, because, you know, your personal brand and your reputation is on the line. Uh, so that also matters. Uh, disadvantages. Well, uh, I think uh, I won't put it as a disadvantage, but it's a challenge uh, that, you know, obviously, there are certain times of the year when you may not get active projects because, you know, there is off-season time or, you know, you know, when teams are not actively in sports. So, you know, so basically you got to hunt for your next meal. That's how it is. So if I could put it in a simple manner. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, there, there will be days when you when your work will be really uh, high in demand. There will be days wherein, you know, you will be kind of having... Just like sports teams have off-season, you, you will also have an off-season wherein you may not have too much of work to do, but then that's okay. I mean, uh, you, you take it in your stride, you get to spend time with family, you get to travel, you get to do multiple things. So that's the advantage and the disadvantage side of the freelance part. Yeah, and I also saw that you are a public speaker and you give conferences, of course, now that it might be even harder or you do it on, online, but I guess that it's also, it's also it gives you time and space to do things that you might love to do just for the sake of doing them like giving conferences or being a teacher or helping other people out which i think is great and i appreciate that answer venu uh, i want to know i want to pick your brain and ask you if do you think there are a few trends or what trends do you see coming for both sports marketing and analysis performance in the next few years What are your thoughts on that? In terms of performance analysis, uh, one area which is definitely uh, doing the rounds right now and, you know, is a futuristic thing to look out for is machine learning and AI. I think that is something which is huge uh, because, you know, the way I have seen the market is that, you know, performance analysts as well as, you know, a lot of people do a lot of donkey work, uh, you know, collecting data, you know, coding each uh, moment of the game or tagging stuff and, you know, using video and stuff. But now with AI cameras or even, you know, computer vision, you know, all that donkey work is reduced. And that's a big, big plus because, you know, the analyst and the coach can then focus on the strategic side of things instead of doing the tactical side and, or, you know, capturing the data. You know, if the data can be captured automatically and, you know, if it can be done accurately, you know, that will be a huge plus for any, uh, you know, team because it saves a lot of time and effort, human effort. Um, of course, you know, when I say that, I say that with the greater, greatest of respect for humans, because, you know, technology is there as an enabler. It's not something to replace you. And that's something which I keep harping upon, uh, you know, in all my conferences that, you know, some of the coaches, uh, you know, or some of the people, uh, some people may not uh, see technology as a big, uh, or they, they might see it as a threat, you know, they might feel that, you know, oh my God, this is going to take away my job, but it's not like that, you know, especially in sport. You know, there's no greater uh, strategic insight uh, uh, machine than a human brain. You know, that's what I will say. You know, technology is there just to enable you to make better decisions, but it cannot make the decision, right? That's how I'll put it. So that that's one. Uh, another trend which I definitely see and in, in my current role with Fanesco is also that, you know, digital fan engagement and augmented reality. I think this is something which is a huge trend which is going to come up. 
uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, because, you know, now fans may not get access to stadiums because of, you know, things like COVID. But, you know, how they can be involved in the team, how can sponsors get involved by doing these immersive experiences, right? By doing this augmented reality initiatives and, you know, digital fan engagement initiatives. That's how you'll kind of get uh, fans to get involved, sponsors to get involved, and, you know, the teams to have more digital fans engaged. Wow, that's super interesting. Um, Venu, I appreciate that. I think that the key takeaway from what you just said is that we should see technology as a tool that will help us reduce the dirty work, the clutter work, the things that humans might take them years to do. It's going to enable us. It's, it's used basically as a leverage. It will help you and humans do better decisions because they the, the technology will enable you to do better decisions. Absolutely. I mean, if I could if I could just give you an example, right, uh, about the same thing, you know, uh, what I was doing with the football club, right? Uh, so my standard job used to be, you know, filming the game. Uh, you know, we used to have a broadcaster footage as well, but then, you know, uh, we were very careful not to rely on the broadcaster's footage because, you know, the broadcaster will focus on multiple other things which we don't need. For example, on the crowd or, you know, he'll specifically focus on the ball. But what the coach needed was, you know, a complete bird's eye view of the football pitch where he could see team formations, he could see who's where, if somebody's out of position and, you know, uh, if the striker or the goalkeeper is in the best position to take that shot or, you know, save the goal. So, you know, that was something which I used to do. Film the game, uh, come back. And then, you know, there used to be a complete series of analysis that we used to do with the coach. So, you know, the first day used to be just uh, looking at, uh, you know, a ball-in-play version of the game. So, when I say ball-in-play, it's basically cutting out all the time that, you know, the ball is not in play. Uh, you know, injury time or substitutions, blah, 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 everything. So, a complete 90-minute footage was packaged into 60 to 65 minutes, you know, just to show the coach as a highlights package. And then the second day used to be looking at team level stats. You know, what has the team done? You know, how many passes were successful, unsuccessful, percentage, blah, 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 all those kind of stuff. Then the third level of analysis used to be player level analysis. What has each player done in his position? You know, uh, so all those stats used to be broken down into these kind of components. So it used to be, take me at least two or three days to kind of compile everything together. So I think if AI or machine learning can help break this down and, you know, help simplify this process, you know, nothing like it, right? So it saves human time and effort. Plus, it kind of helps the analyst to focus on much more other things with the coach, which the coach would want to do. Wow, that's a great example, Venu. I love it. I never thought about it that way. But uh, putting it in that specific scenario, I, I understand it perfectly. And I'm sure the listeners will understand it as well. And my last question for you, Venu, before we go, I want to ask you a personal question. And that is, what's the best advice that someone has ever given to you? And why do you remember that as being the best advice? I've been very fortunate to have worked with a lot of wonderful people in my career. Uh, and I've learned a lot from them as well. Uh, one person who, who, whom I'll always remember throughout my life, you know, as a leader, as a mentor is, uh, you know, He was the former CEO of Sports Tech, uh, which is now called as Huddle. Uh, his name was Philip Jackson. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, with him, his personality as well as his aura and, you know, the way he carried himself as well as the way he treated people, you know, it was so beautiful. And, you know, a perfect example of leadership as well as, you know, how to run a company successfully, how to get the right processes in place. And, you know, 
sitting in Australia, he had a complete bird's eye view of what's happening around the world with the company, you know. And I think he had great insights. One of the famous quotes that he always used to, you know, tell us is, and especially when we used to discuss business plans with him, is that you know, I, you know, I made the mistake of uh, making a, you know, a presentation and telling him, you know, I hope that this gets converted and we'll have this in the next quarter. And then he quickly pointed out to me that, you know, you know what, Venu, hope is not a business plan. So I think I'll always remember that aspect. And, uh, you know, so that was something which was, which, which, which is kind of embedded in me throughout my life. And, you know, I always remember that quote, you know, whenever I say the word hope, you know, then you'll say that hope is not a business plan. If, if it's there, it has to be either something, you know, which is measurable or it should not be there. <laughs> that's great, Venu. I think that's a great place to wrap today's conversation. Venu has a clear experience, a unique set of uh, background and knowledge in sports and technology. And there's so much to learn from him. I appreciate your time, Venu. It was amazing to host you on the Hafton Snacks show. I can't wait for us to meet and talk more about sports and technology in the future, hopefully once this pandemic is over. But for now, thank you so much for coming to the Halftime Snacks, Venu. Before you leave, I want to thank you for listening. To hear this or any other Halftime Snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week.